Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. My name is Bill Arnold, and today we are doing a longer version of Guide Talk, which is Guys Who Talk, and lovely gentlemen who love God's Word and they want to answer questions to the best of their ability. Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Ferdorn are my power panel. And if you have listened to Guide Talk in the past, you know questions come from the New Testament, the Old Testament, uh, questions about certain faith, denominations, religious questions— and they do their very best to handle whatever comes their way. So if you have a question, send it over, 877-933-2484. Gentlemen, welcome once again. It's fun to be here for another half an hour, Bill. All right. Hi, Bill. Hey, Jeff. So here's a question that just came in. If Jesus struggled like us, this is a man talking, uh, did he struggle with a desire for a female like most men? Of course he did. But he knew the limits and he knew what his father's will was. Okay. And he knew his purpose. And so he let that govern his decisions. I'm going to let Jeff take his shot at it as well. I uh, agree. Remember that temptation is not sin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's acting on that temptation is sin. So when, when Paul says take every thought captive, I think Jesus would have done that perfectly. Right? So when that thought came into his mind, he took it captive to obedience to Christ. So, um, so yeah, I think he was, it, in fact, Scripture says that he was tempted in every way, uh, just like we are, but was without sin. Beautiful. Thank you both for great answers. Here's another question. Did Samson really slay a thousand men with the jaw of a donkey? Well, the Scripture <laughs> says that he did. We have no historical reason to doubt it. And almost all the things that have been doubted, especially in the Old Testament, when it comes to where there's numerology involved, there's numbers or how many warriors or how many chariots, whatever else, archaeology keeps exposing as being more than accurate. So uh, there's no reason. We have not found anything in the Old Testament that has been false in terms of those kind of of, uh, perspectives. So, yeah, I'm one man under the Lord's guidance in that kind of a setting. Uh, I don't know too much about those kind of jawbones, but... Obviously, it was very good, and yeah, he handled himself well. Mm. You know, there's there's actually a lot more interesting miracles and in, talked about in scripture. With a donkey talks, for example, um, yeah. Moses parts the Red Sea, and and they they walk through the Red Sea as if on dry ground. And uh, Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish for three days and three nights, and and so on and so forth. I mean, there's hundreds of these. And if you start saying, well, I'm not, I can't accept that one, or I can't accept that one. Uh, well, then where do you stop? Where are you going to decide that, well, that one's true and that one isn't? I, I guess I, I don't have enough information for, for me to decide which things in the Bible are true and which things aren't. As we were talking about before the hour in the last hour, we can trust Scripture, that it is the very words of God, and it's trustworthy, and it's accurate. No historical find, no archaeological discovery, no scientific fact has ever disproven anything mm-hmm. in Scripture. It's historically reliable. And if you're going to question 
a donkey speaking or Samson killing a lot of people with, with a, with a jawbone. Well, then how do you accept that someone rose from the dead and conquered death and, and now says you can be saved through faith in him. That's the greatest miracle of all. And, and that's what all of Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Christ. You know, if I told you, if you would take four days of your life, Take your vacation time, whatever it is. Take you and your family to some state, and if you stay there four days and listen to the teaching for four days, your bank account will be filled up with $100 million. How many of you would try to go? Well, I think many of us would try to figure out how to get there. And yet we have in Kentucky the Ark, the Museum of the Bible, I mean, creation down there with uh, such wonderful people, Ken Ham and others. They answer these questions scientifically. Uh, I sat through the lectures, and I was blown away that they bring in these PhDs who have studied biology, archaeology, all of these things, and they affirm what is said in the Bible. They say, we have evidence to show this is true. But most Christians, most skeptics don't have access or know where to go. I'm telling you, go there, spend your time, and you'll come away enriched. Okay, let me move on. I would like to know what my life in heaven will be like before my body is raised at rapture. It's just my spirit floating around? Yeah, Scripture describes our current body, this tent of our body, this temporary dwelling, our physical body that we gave birth, right? is from water, as, as Jesus says in John chapter 3. Um, and, and then Scripture describes our glorified body, the glorified body that Christ received when he walked out of the tomb in glory. And we will receive that one day as well on the, on the resurrection day. Um, the intermediate state, when a believer dies and goes to heaven, we actually don't have a lot of information on. Paul says that we are absent from the body and at home with the Lord. Well, we know Christ is in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. So when a believer dies today after the cross, uh, the Scripture declares that we will immediately be in the presence of the Lord. I don't have a problem with uh, just being a spiritual being up in heaven. And I think in a lot of ways, we'll be more real than we've ever been uh, in a physical body. Uh, released from the constraints of this physical body, we will be more real than ever. Remember, God is spirit as well. So while I've never seen a spirit in heaven, don't know what it looks like, uh, I think that we will be able to exist uh, in spirit without a body. As C.S. Lewis said, a long time ago, he said, you don't have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body. When you and I were in our mother's womb, we had no concept of what was on the outside. We had no concept of the human body. We had no concept of life. We had no concept of the good things that are out there, as well as the bad. And now we take it for granted that we're here. It's going to be even greater when we leave this world to go be with the Lord. And I don't care if I'm in a spirit form, I'm in a bodily form. All I know is I want to be with Jesus where there'll be no more suffering, no more pain, no more crying, and no more death. That's a good deal. Oh, I agree. That's a great analogy, Tom. It is, it is good. Yeah. During the triumphal entry, the crowd welcomed Jesus. Well, a few days later, a crowd was shouting to crucify him. Are those in the second crowd the same people as those in the first who turned on him? Well, we have no information on that in the Bible. Who Inter- was in the crowd? Interesting question, though, isn't it? It's a wonderful question. I would, I would say, 
what were the motivation of the people yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the king? If they were had the motivation of, that a lot of people did, that the Messiah would be the new King David, would kick out the Romans, would reestablish Israel, uh, I would imagine some of those were disappointed. But those who had a better spiritual insight, those who were getting an insight into who this Jesus was, the different Messiah than what they had been grown up with, the one who was going to save them from their sins and give them eternal life, uh, they were people that were probably mourning on that day. So there's probably a mixture, but I don't know, and I don't have any numbers. And it, well, it, I, we don't have the details, as Tom said. I think there were people who received Christ. I mean, if you read through the sure. book of John over and over, you get this example where Jesus spoke, and some believed his message. Uh, others wanted to kill him, right? So his his message has always been divisive to those who are going to hear it. Some will believe and be saved, and some will not believe. And uh, I think that what we're seeing in his triumphal entry is the same thing. You had some that received him, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and you had others who wanted to kill him. Um, I'll just make one more point. Oftentimes when it says uh, this made the Jews angry or this made the Jews wanted to kill him or this made the, some Jews seized him in the temple courts and tried to kill him and so on, oftentimes that phrase is, is stands for the Jewish leadership, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and so on. So they were the ones, obviously, who arrested him. They were the ones who had the authority to arrest him, uh, but not to kill him. That's why they took him to Pilate. Nicely done, Jeff. All right, we're going to take a break here in 90 seconds, but I, I want to also pray for a couple more prayer requests that came in. And when I brought it up uh, earlier in the last hour about if someone was in a place of crisis, we were just, I was feeling prompted to say, what is it we can try to meet you in your time of need uh, with? And a number of you re- requested prayer, and there's just a few more. So, Pastor Tom Parrish, I hate to put all the work on you, but um, would you pray again, and then we'll go to break and come back and do more God talk. Believe me, it's an honor to bring okay. these before Jesus. Thank Lord, you. you know the listeners. You know the people that are asking. You know their needs. Here we have a listener. The son and the son's mother are splitting. Uh, grandson's parents are battling. The two people he loves the most. And, Lord, his heart's being torn apart. Lord, bring healing to this family. You know how to heal the past. You know how to heal the words. You know how to heal the situation. Bring healing, Jesus, as only you can. We pray for the father who's in the hospital today with brain scan and having problems. Lord, give the doctors immense wisdom. Matter of fact, you read the brain scan, Lord, and you diagnose and you correct and you restore him and give hope to the family. We think of the girlfriend of mine, it says, is up against legal trouble and possible prison time. And she feels it might be easier if she just ended it. Lord, help her to know, no matter what she's done, no matter what problems she has, before she was even conceived in her mother's womb, you had a purpose for her. You called and set her apart to be your ambassador of the gospel. Lord, she needs to hear that and realize what a valuable person she is, and whatever she faces, you will redeem it. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tom Parrish. We'll take a break, and when we return, we'll have time for some more questions. If you have one, send it over, 877-933-2484. You're listening to Guy Talk. My power panel again is Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. We're right back. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, 
Twitter and YouTube, we're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. Welcome back to the show. This is Guy Talk, guys. We talk Pastor Tom Parrish and Jeff Verdorn. We are uh, doing an extended version, so we've got a little extra time today. And this question comes in so often, and it's one of those questions that we're going to have to just gently uh, respond and then say maybe we don't have time to make a full presentation of how to deal with this question because it's a question that involves female preachers. Mm-hmm. And is it is it unbiblical or just is it uh, is it part of the the culture of the time right now? And we don't have to spend a lot of time there because if we're going to really address this issue, I think we should dedicate some time to go into it. I would agree with that. I mean, I've worked with both men and women pastors. Um some of them, both men and women, more men than women quite honestly, I wouldn't put in any pulpit because they're not centered on Jesus the word. Mhm. Those that are, um, I remember when I taught at one school here in town, I had to train both men and women in preaching. So I did. It was part of my job. What was interesting about it, I had a 19-year-old, which was the most phenomenal woman preacher I've ever heard in my life. And she was Baptist, and and in her church, her pastor had her preach, and she brought more people to Christ when she preached than any other time. Mm -hmm. Uh, My attitude is this. I think being in a pastoral role for a woman is extremely difficult in our culture. Now, is in it biblical, old, though? That's the question. Is it biblical? You know, Paul, the Bible talks about, you know, Paul didn't allow women to have authority over men. There's a lot of this. There, there. You don't have as direct of references as we'd like. I would like to keep women out of that because I know how difficult it can be. I mean, most people don't realize being a pastor is dangerous. You run into a lot of things you don't, most people don't even know about. But on the other hand, like Deborah of the Old Testament and others, if the Lord calls, I'm not going to get in the way if Jesus is proclaimed. Maybe we need to start calling Pastor Tom 007 because of the dangerous work he yeah. does. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call him 008. Does. No, I'm kidding. So this is this is we have talked about this a couple times on on Guy Talk. It comes this up is often, basically, though, Jeff. yeah, it does. This is the the complementarian versus the egalitarian. Uh, view and and which one theologically complementarian versus egalitarian egalitarian is or, or complementarianism is that the men and women are complementary to each other that God has different roles for men versus women all are made in the image of God all have can have salvation through faith in Christ once you are saved all are equal in Christ all are one with God but God has specific roles for a male versus uh, a female. Egalitarianism is that, no, there's no distinction in, in roles once you become a believer. Uh, for example, in leadership within the church, male or female could be an elder. Um, it's Look, good Christians have dif- disagreed on this issue over the, the centuries. Um, and I, I just, if you are going to study it, just make sure you study all the different passages about what 
are the criteria for being an elder, as described in, in specifically Timothy and, uh, and, and Titus. And one of those passages, by the way, is to be the husband of but one wife. And so I think that, I, personally, I think Scripture points to a um, the leaders of a church being being male. That doesn't mean that women cannot be in ministry. In fact, we see a lot of females sure. in ministry throughout Scripture. Um, so it's just whether or not that specific role of the leadership sure. is for both men and women or for men only. But uh, but you're right. This uh, there's it's I don't know what the percentage within the Christian churches is, or even in the United States of America, what the percentage is. But uh, it's probably split pretty close to fifty fifty. Well, and if there's any elder out there that has more than one wife, I'm not going to trust him, and he's in a mess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's uh, another question. Before Jesus came to rescue us, if people had to continually give offerings for forgiveness of sins, how were they assured of salvation? Couldn't, the, couldn't they lose their salvation by sinning again? This is before Jesus came to rescue us. I would only say that in the Old Testament, as we know, because we see the passage, but Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, he was saved by faith. Uh, it's the same faith that we have that saves us today. Um, only they were obviously looking forward to the cross. We look backwards to the cross. So they were saved. So in that sense, I would argue that they did have assurance of salvation. Now, one of the consequences, because they were not washed clean, they were not made pure, they were they were not totally and completely washed clean and forgiven. Uh, when they died, they were not able to go into heaven right away, they had to go to this place called the Hades, or what's called in Scripture in the bosom of Abraham in Luke 16. So that is where they were held. So when David said, Lord, don't abandon me in the grave, the grave in the Hebrew is Sheol, it's the same place as Hades, he was saying, I don't want to stay in this place, in this place of comfort, uh, the bosom of Abraham. I want to eventually be up into heaven. And God basically says, don't worry, I've got a plan. And I think that is the consequence that—and oh, by the way, also, they were never able to receive the Holy Spirit. Remember in the Old Testament that there was nobody in the Old Testament who was born again. Uh, nobody was was uh, sealed with the Holy Spirit, uh, being made one with Christ uh, in, in the Old Testament, because obviously Christ hadn't died yet. So I think that's the, the distinction. They can still have that assurance that once they believed they were saved for all of eternity— but the effect of that at the time, Old Testament versus the New Testament, was different. I agree with Jeff. There's not much more I can add because it was it's faith from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. And even though the Old Testament had all the rules and all the rituals, it was still a matter of faith because even Jesus said, you know, you do all these things and give alms, but they're fruitless. It's got to come from the heart. Mm -hmm. It has to be faith. Yeah. Galatians, says, Galatians says that no one was made perfect by obeying the law. So it has to be by faith. Right. All right, Tom, I don't want this to go to your head. There's a risk it might. But uh, Michael said, and we, we can refer to him as M, all right? M, M said, Tom's definitely double O material. <laughs> <laughs> he, he must be a relative of mine. That, you know, and it's all I can figure. Thank you. Well, I had mentioned that you could be double O eight. There you go. I'm yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Isn't it true that women were uneducated at the time of the early church and that would have been a cultural issue that would prevent them from teaching from the Torah? There was really nothing in Scripture that I saw that teaches that says that it, it, they weren't 
um, be putting be put in leadership positions because they weren't educated. Well, women did not go to rabbinical school. Well, I know that, and so yep. that was the only way you learned. They didn't have books in their home. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have a library to go to. So when they went to the synagogue in order to hear the Torah, they would go to rabbi school or under the rabbis or the prophets to learn there. And women just weren't part of that process at that point. Agreed. Cool. All right. Can people uh, born during the millennium receive the Holy Spirit? Yes, Jesus says when he was on earth that when he leaves and goes back to heaven, he will send another that is the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you forever. That does not change uh, after the the beginning of the millennial reign when Jesus comes back to rule and reign for a thousand years. Once a person is born and they grow up and they believe, they will receive the Holy Spirit and and be saved uh, just as we are today. One of the most fascinating things about the millennial reign is that there will be many people who will live, who will be born and are living under the kingship of Jesus Christ as the king over all of the earth, but will never receive him as Lord and Savior. Hmm. Hmm. And so at the end of the millennium, there's one more, one last rebellion described in Scripture. Uh, when Satan is released for a short time, and there's a they gather and surround the camp of the city of God, and uh, fire comes down from heaven and destroys them all. Uh, that, to me, is one of the most amazing things of all, that you can be under the kingship of Christ on earth in his kingdom, but not be a, a believer in him as your own personal Lord and Savior. I agree with Jeff. That's astounding, uh, but we don't have a lot more information than that. So thanks, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Tom Parrish, could you open up Joel chapter uh, 3, verses 9 and 10? And Jeff, I'll ask you to do the same. Uh, I should have addressed this question a little bit sooner. There were so many that came in. But it, it is a difficult passage, and maybe if you can look at it quickly and just yep. comment briefly on it, I will appreciate that. Joel 3, 9 and 10. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning forks into uh, spears, let the weak say, I am a warrior. I'm trying to remember the context here, everybody, so then I'm... I'm I know. I, I probably uh, have brought a hard question up at, a, at the end of the show, so I apologize. No, no, no. That's, that's bad timing on my part. Back during Joel's time, they were in battle. They were mm -hmm. fighting against foreign nations. They had a lot of problems. And I think this is uh, very much a call to to war, but it's always war for the Jews under the Lord's guidance. Mm, sure. It's not war like we do with a, a military and just go in. They were expecting the Lord to go to battle for them, even if they had fewer numbers. But it is still the responsibility in that moment to prepare yourself for the battle. Okay. And so that's a lot of what I see here. Jeff, maybe you've got more to add. Well, even if you well, do, Jeff, we're out of time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I'm going to let you off the hook in a big way, uh, just so you know. But thank you, gentlemen, uh, both so much for an extended version. And, Tom, I'm so pleased to know that you were uh, 007 material. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. All right. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, Beverly Canaris is going to join the program, and we're going to talk about how to better study the Bible. That's all next.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. If you just joined us, we are um, just concluding 90 minutes of Guy Talk, which was really fun. Rosie, you have to admit that was fun. It was electric in here. Okay. It was so good. Yeah. That puts a lot of pressure on our next guest. (laughs) (laughs) She can handle it. Oh, I know she can. That's why I made that comment, because if Uh I'd be unkind if I was assuming she couldn't. uh, Right. right. But she can. That's right. Because Beverly Canaris is our guest. She is regular on the show. And also, uh, she was for over 30 years a teaching leader at Bible Study Fellowship. And she's also a co-host of a podcast, She Is Becoming. Beverly, we're going to talk about how to better study the Bible, aren't we? We are. You know, this is something I've been doing for a lot of decades. And I've I've got a few simple tricks and tools that I really want to give your listeners. Good. Let's do it. All right. Well, you know, I think a lot of people, when they say they make their New Year's resolution, I'm going to read the Bible this year, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, or maybe they feel inspired after a sermon to go home and open their Bible. And they find it so overwhelming and Maybe they um, have read parts of it and they think, I'm just not getting anything out of it. Um, Maybe they'd like to share their faith, but they feel ill-equipped. If you don't know the Bible, it's going to be harder to share your faith, truly. That that is true. So um, let me just give you a little bit of my background, Bill, on how I started to read the Bible. I was challenged um, very early in my life, at like age 20, uh, by a woman I worked with who said, just read your Bible, your Bible five minutes a day, and then pray for two minutes. And that's called your seven up. So that's where I started, just reading the Bible. She told me to start in Matthew in the New Testament. That's where I started. And I just started to read five minutes a day. Um, and that started to give me such an appetite for God's Word. So I recommend people, when you really want to start reading the Bible, start to study the Bible for yourself. Start small. Think about five minutes a day and let God grow your appetite for his word. But then next, I did join a Bible study, and this really helped me to know what the Bible said and then how to apply it to myself, and also how to study and read the Bible on my own, not always needing a study, but able to get things out of it when I'm not being led by a study. So I really recommend a good study for many reasons. And this is the main one. Nothing has changed my life, my husband's life, our family's life, more than learning what the Bible says. Amen. Yes, it's it's life changing. Um, We can just we just have a marker in our marriage, in our life, in our family, where the huge change that happened in our family and our two older kids even remember that change when we started to study God's word. We began to change. Well, you know, there's a, 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 a verse in the Bible in Acts that says uh, the Bereans were uh, just received God's word from the Apostle Paul in uh, Acts 17.11, where the people here are described as people of noble character who received the message with eagerness and examined the scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. So what do we learn about the Bereans? Well, the Bereans were eager, first of all. Mm -hmm. They were eager to know the truth, and they were eager to compare God's truth with what they were hearing 
from the Apostle Paul. And that is always a good thing, especially in today's culture where God's word is often twisted. So they were eager and it was daily, Mm. daily. Bev, can I make a small observation? Because I love Acts 17.11 and because the the Bereans wouldn't listen to Paul and then go home at night and open up their copy of the Bible because they didn't have one. (laughs) They had to gather in community. That's right. That's right. It's plural, isn't it? Yes. Bereans. Yes. Yes. Good point. So this is why we need community, too, to study it within community, why Bible studies and church and Sunday morning and listening preaching is all so important. You know, and if we don't, they they wanted to know if what Paul said was true. We can be so easily fooled uh, by what people may say is true. So it's a hedge against believing lies, believing things about God that are not true. Uh, now, many of us also are very immature in our faith due to a lack of Bible knowledge. I think it's a good description here in Hebrews 5. It says, you want milk instead of the solid food. The Bible is God's solid food. You can be spoon-fed, that's another expression, or milk-fed, you know, just by sitting and hearing a sermon once in a while in church. But that's not going to cause the life change that happens when we start to open God's Word, take it seriously, and start to apply it to ourselves. Well, I've been teaching God's Word, like you said, Bill, for many years, and now I have learned just a few simple tips to unlocking its life-changing truth. So I want to share some of those tips with your listeners. I want to give the listeners some tools. If they're at home, they may want to write down a few things now. If they're on the go, they should re-listen to the podcast and take some notes. It would be very helpful for someone starting out wanting to really learn God's Word and learn how to get something out of it as they read. So what we're going to do, we're going to um, look at John chapter 1, but first, before I go there to talk about what we can get out of this chapter and how you can go about doing that, I'm going to give you some of these helps. Always it's best to start by reading the scripture slowly. Say you're taking a chapter of the Bible a day. So read it slowly, read it back maybe several times. Read it out loud. Do you know it sounds different and you hear different things when you're reading it out loud? Mm. Listen to it being read. You know, a lot of us have the Bible app on our phone. Just press that little horn and it will read to you. It's wonderful. Um, Some would call this process of reading it several times, going over it, meditating on God's Word. Um, That's a good thing because every time you do that, you kind of see something different, something new. Something stands out to you. You get a further insight into the passage. The Bible, Bill, is so dense, isn't it? I mean, you talk about it every day, all day long, and you don't get to the bottom of it, do you? No, no. I'm sure at the end of my life I will go, I barely scratched the surface of God's Word. Well, what did Billy Graham say at the end of his life? A regret. I wish I had studied the Bible more. Yeah, right. (laughs) So there you go. It's just that dense. There's, it's a, it's a, a well. It's a treasure trove that will never um, be exhausted. Mm-hmm. So the Bible is so dense. Every time you read it, you're going to see new things. That's why it's so important to keep reading it. I read through the Bible every year, and I'm always running across things. I don't remember that being right, there. Right, right. Now this, th- this particular passage is, is so precious to me now because of what I'm going through or what I need for today. Um, So the Bible is dense. Um, So as your life changes, those new things are going to jump out at you. 
However, there is one message that does not change, but can be applied to our lives in more personal ways. Remember, what the, the Bible itself stands on the truth that it is, and then we can take that one truth and we can apply it in many ways. God says, I'll give you peace. Well, maybe your peace that you need is for a work situation this week. Peace is in the next one is because you're anxious about the weather, you know, so it can, it, the peace applies differently, but the peace is the truth. Mm-hmm. So as I taught Bible study fellowship, I was told to ask three questions as I read and studied the Bible. The first question is this, what is the passage about? Just, you know, jot down a few notes. What's this really about? Or say it in your mind. Like, what is the, why is this here? What's it really about now? Secondly, what do I learn from the passage? What, what is this God trying to teach me here as I'm looking at this? What, what am I learning? Am I learning something about God? Am I learning something about people? Am I learning something about certain circumstances? Um, certain history is very, you know, teach, teaching certain things. What do I learn from this passage? And then number three, how can I apply this passage to my life? Mm-hmm. And that is such an important step. Sometimes you can hear wonderful teaching about the Bible, but if they never take it down to what does that mean for my life, it remains um, in theory yeah. and not in practice. Beverly so Canaris. that third question, yeah. very important. Beverly Canaris is my guest, and we are talking about how to better study the, the Bible. And those are three excellent points, uh, Bev, and... I suggest you and I apply them right now. How's that? Let's dissect well, we, a verse in Scripture, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. What is that passage? <laughs> what is that passage what does about? That mean? Uh, well, you know, I have to do homiletics on it. I well, think, just to quite well, let, let's try, just to try to understand it. Yeah, let's just talk. Um, let's see let, who's let, the let's, subject. Let's just talk through it. The passage is about <laughs> Jesus showing incredible compassion emotion. and and emotion mm-hmm. and, and sadness at the loss uh, of his yes. friend Lazarus. So what do I learn from this passage? You know, Jesus is is not only full of emotion, but he's also willing to step into other people's discomfort, because I'm sure Mary was a mess at the time too, and Martha and everybody yes. else. And how can I apply yes. this to my life? I think that is what I would apply, is figure out a way to hang in there and be uncomfortable, and be comfortable with people's discomfort. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I took yeah, you off track. I'm yeah. sorry. No, you didn't. It, you know, that's what Ecclesiastes tells us to do. We're to, you know, mourn with those who mourn. So this is what Jesus was doing. He was coming alongside of her. And to learn that that is the kind of God we have, that that is who Jesus Christ is, that he will mourn with you and you mourn. He will rejoice with you and rejoice. He is with you. So right. love that. Love that passage. And I like how simple you boiled that down to with so few words, oh, Bill. <laughs> oh, thank you. Ah, well, let's let's get some more tips, should we? Yes. Um, you can also, if you're reading some scripture here, um, either John 11 or we're going to look into John 1 as well, you can also have a few more observations. So consider yourself an observer. Really look at what, what's happening here. Look for key words or repetition of words, phrases, ideas, that's very helpful because that's going to help you to understand what the passage is about. Look for a doctrine. A doctrine is something like salvation, edification, judgment, the Trinity, sin, eternal life, Um, those kind of things, truths that are for all people for all time that are in the Bible. You notice that there's any attributes of God. 
some examples would be loving, gracious, judge, guide, all wise, all powerful. Look for those attributes. The most important thing that we know in this life is who is God. That's the most important. So don't miss that when you're reading the Bible. Look for his attributes. I know a one woman who read her entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and wrote down all the attributes that she could find about God. What a rich study. Wow. Uh, that's so, impressive. Yes. Isn't it? And yeah. sometimes when I can't sleep, that's what I try to do. I go over the, the beautiful things about God. The Bible also often speaks of a particular topic or a theme, like uh, Hebrews 11, faith. The Holy Spirit uh, would be John 14, 15, and 16, have a lot on the Holy Spirit, suffering, uh, justice. So if you see a particular topic or theme in there, note that as well. Now, a very important item to look for, especially if you're going to be, teach it, is looking for the big idea. What's the main point? Um, you know, we can only remember so much as, as listeners and self-learners. We should try to in, go to our study with an, and, and then leave our study with a central important thought that reflects then the central truth of the passage that we've studied. Now, I like to kind of do this in, as I journal every day. I read my Bible, and then I take my personal takeaway, my, my big idea from what I just read, and I'll journal about it. So just look for that one nugget. Again, we can only remember so much, but if you were just looking at Jesus wept, um, what would be your takeaway nugget? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. What? His, his, his compassion, right? His, I would say his his compassion and his, his willingness just to... Uh, be transparent and 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 step into people's pain and discomfort, and I would say step into other person's pain, but it was his pain too. So he was he was sharing uh, his vulnerability. I thought that was a beautiful yeah. moment. All right, Bev, let's it take a little. Yes, we need Great. to take a little break. Beverly Canaris is my guest. We're talking about how to study the Bible, and she's giving some wonderful uh, pointers. So we'll take a break and be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Beverly Canaris is my guest. She is retired from 30-plus years of teaching leader at Bible Study Fellowship, but she has certainly not retired from teaching and mentoring. She's also a co-host of a podcast, She Is Becoming, and we're talking today about how to study the Bible. So, Bev, I know you've got some more teaching to give us, um, and I have a feeling I cut into some of your time, so I'm, I'm apologizing in advance. No, you no need to apologize. I think that was a, a great illustration right when we talked about uh, that passage from John 11. So, But let's talk about the different types of Scripture. When you first start reading the Bible, you may be unaware that there are different types of Scripture in the Bible, so it's important to know what kind of Scripture you're reading. Uh, there's historical books, books of history, of course. There's prophecy, a lot of prophetic books. There's poetry, 
like Psalms. And then there's wisdom, which is like Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So, um, however, even though there's all these different types of writings in the Bible, did you know that there's one meta-narrative, which is redemption? The redemption that comes through the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the message from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 21. That it's, it's the same message, it's the same golden red thread, as you, if you want to call it that, or golden thread that runs through the entire scriptures. But it is important when you're trying to understand what the Bible is saying to you to know which, what kind of book that you're in. What we read in history books is it's a record of events and it's informative, but it's not always prescriptive. Like Solomon, who had, what, a thousand wives, or David even had multiple wives as well. That isn't saying that it's okay to have multiple wives. It's recording history. Mm-hmm. You know, God's Word is clear about one man and one woman for marriage. And then when you get into the book of Proverbs, like of, of wisdom, they're truisms, but they're not necessarily promises. And so you have to understand what is the venue that you're reading in as far as what's in the Bible. Now, you can do different kinds of study rather than just chapter by chapter, verse by verse as well. You can do a topical study on forgiveness. You could, that would be an example, or you could do a word study like wisdom. You could do a character study on Moses, David, the Apostle Paul. Um, Now, you might wonder, well, how can I do that? Well, there's some good tools that really make it quite easy, actually. First of all, a tool I use a great deal is called a concordance. And a concordance just takes um, by topic, like you'd look up the word wisdom, and then you would look under the W in that concordance. A lot of times, Bibles in the back have a concordance. If not, you can buy a separate book, or you can even get an app that's a concordance. And so I would, you know, I would type in wisdom. And I would see all the verses that come up that have the word wisdom in it. And you can look them all up and start to see piece truths together here. So you can kind of get the picture of what it means to have God's wisdom as you do that. Or you could look up, you know, uh, something on forgiveness and the same thing could come through that. So that's one resource that you have. There's good commentaries as well. And commentaries is just some man or woman has written a book about, let's say, Matthew. And so they take the verses and they interpret them and they write about them, give you a little background on them, give you some of the meaning, maybe some of the applications. So that's very helpful to have commentaries. So you could even go to, you know, one of your websites and type in uh, a book, commentary book on the book of Matthew to start out with, or the book of uh, Acts to start out with, whatever book you're interested in studying. Be careful, not all authors are right on. Isn't that right, Bill? I mean, you have to read with discernment. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why I'm not recommending any by name. But um, uh, you could even ask your pastor what would be some good authors of some commentaries if you're interested. And also there's something called a book called Systematic Theology by Grudem. And this is a classic. And this I'm not afraid to recommend. You want to look up any topic, any biblical topic, it's there. And it's very helpful. In fact, mm-hmm. one time when I was teaching, I challenged the women in the summer to read the whole book. And there was actually a group of women who got together every week during the summer, and they read the whole book, and they loved it. So that's something. But it's more a um, textbook than anything. Then there's something called the Blue Letter Bible, where you can look up the original meaning of words. And that, again, can be on an app if you'd like. I have that there's app also, as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's very helpful. And then there's um, websites like Bible.org and mm-hmm. others 
that mm-hmm. can be very helpful. I can type in a passage, say that I'm studying, and it will give me three or four, t- you know, messages uh, on that, on that particular part of the Bible. But you need, again, you have to be discerning because there's a lot of voices out there. If they don't coincide with what the scripture is teaching, beware. And just always have your feelers out there to make sure you're listening to the people you should be listening to. And be Bereans. But now, yeah, exactly. Study it. You know, Make sure it's true. Mm-hmm. Now, let's model some of these things in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. We're going to um, start the process by just, I'm, I can only, you know, time doesn't allow to read much here, but I'm just going to read a verse from each little section here in the first chapter of John. And then we're going to go back and ask these three questions. So it starts out like this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not understood it. He was in the world, though the world uh, was made through Him. The world did not recognize Him. Then it goes on to say, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so let's ask these three questions. What is this passage about? Well, it's obviously about God and about how everything began in this world and that he came into this world. So it's, it's about God putting on flesh. What do I learn from this passage? I learn that Jesus is God, and I learn that he is creator as well. Wow. This is just the first chapter, the first section of mm-hmm. chapter one. Um, how can I apply this to my life? Well, this I can apply this to my life because Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He is not only, he wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a great man and had some good uh, morality about him and he helped and healed people. No, this is God come down. The word came down and put on flesh and dwelt among us. So I have to respond to him in that way. This is the truth. This is who he is. And then if you look at the rest of the chapter in um, in First John, it, it's, it talks here a lot about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist points to Jesus and says, look, the Lamb of God. And he had told the people earlier in that chapter, I'm not the Messiah. But he says, look, here's Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. And then the third part of this first chapter, Jesus is calling disciples to himself. He says, follow me. And uh, so Nathaniel followed him, and then he went and got someone else, and then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. So let's ask the questions. What is this passage, this first chapter of John about? It's about who is Jesus. It's about who he is. He's been identified. He's identified as creator. He's identified as putting on flesh. He's God in flesh. Um, We have learned that he is the Lamb of God, and we have learned that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and King. Can you believe it? Look what all we've learned about who Jesus is in this passage. That's what you've learned. And how can you apply this to my life? I can apply it as I receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, and that I receive the the, um, uh, redemption that he promised through his shed blood and resurrection, that I can have a new life through him that he is truth, that he, he, he knows me, that he loves me, and that he is the one and only Savior. So I have to apply that to my life now, that he is my Lamb of God. 
shed his blood for me. So that's how you can kind of break down a passage. You can also look for the big idea, the attribute, the doctrine. You know, the study of God's word is an exciting, life-changing opportunity. Um, I'm going to ask your listeners if they would do something. I'm going to ask each and every person listening, will you be willing to commit to be a lifelong student of God's word? Would you be willing to get into a study? The time is now. Would you be willing to take time daily now to be in his word? It's not that hard. Just read, just just apply and learn what you can understand. Other things that you don't understand, let it go. But there's always things in there that we can learn and apply to our lives. I think sometimes our excuse for not obeying the word of God is saying it's too hard or we don't understand it. But there's plenty that is just very obvious, very simple. And you can take one thing away each day for your life. Blessings await if you will give God's word, the Bible, the time and the effort it deserves. And then you're going to find that you're going to create such a thirst for it. It's not going to be a discipline anymore. It's going to be, I, I can't, I jump out of bed to have that special time with the Lord in the morning. It's so precious oh, uh, to amen. me. It, it Doesn't it go from discipline to delight? It does. Bev, it's just been wonderful. Thank you so much for your teaching. You can know Jesus as your Savior, and you can trust his word. Have a great night, everyone. I look forward to being with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.